Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. That's great. That was wonderful. Who made that? Chloe? <laughs> well done, Chloe. Thank you, Chloe. Amen. Welcome. Thank you for coming this morning. It's, my name is Mike. I'm one of the five pastors here at Sower Church. It's an honor to be with you today. It's encouraging to have a beautiful Sunday morning to be with you and talk with you, pray with you, fellowship with you, drink some coffee with you, have a donut with you, sing with you, pray with you. It's just fun to be with you as a church. I'm excited for this topic. I went long at the first service, and I don't have a second service coming, so I will try to stay in my range of where I'm supposed to be at. But I'm excited to look at God's Word together for this passage we're looking at today. So before we jump into that, can you take a few moments and bow your heads and pray with me? Uh, Christians all over the globe are praying for the war in Ukraine. i like to just open our time for a moment of prayer on that. Uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, I, Lord, it's war. There's been conflict there in that part of that country for eight years. There's an estimated four million people that are displaced, Lord. There's churches and seminaries and gospel-believing brothers and sisters that are trying to be a salt and a light in a very difficult time. At the end of a pandemic, at the end of a global recession, global pandemic, then there's a, a war in their backyard, Lord. There's people displaced, homes being destroyed, lives being lost. It is wild, Lord, what is happening, Lord. I ask that you would make a way for the gospel, make a way for lives to be changed, make a way for the church to expand in the Ukraine, Ukraine and Russian territories, Lord. All, all jurisdictions, all governors, all dictators, all rulers will bow a knee to you someday, Lord. I pray that you would compel hearts, change hearts, capture hearts, and, and just control that scene on our, on our world, Lord. Crisis and conflict is all around the globe, Lord, and we can watch this one in living color, Lord, as people. Because of technology, we feel this more than everything else that happens around the globe because we see it, Lord. We see stories of lives that are being transformed and destroyed by war. Um, help us not to waste our time. The time is dark. The time is for Christians to act is now. Uh, the days are getting short. The time is evil is what the Bible talks about. Help us not to waste our days. Help us to know our days are numbered and counted. Help us to manage our time well, our fleeting time. Help us make this time count, Lord. I pray for my brother Jason's prayer request that you would you protect and lead him in that, Lord. Protect and lead us all, Lord, as we as we attempt to be faithful in, a, in lean times, um, how to be faithful Christians now. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd like to open up a short story. March 17th of a year ago, I, had a, I was at a pastoral church planning residency builder with Dan and Derek and others. Uh, there's probably two dozen pastors and staff from healthy gospel-centered churches uh, in the Lincoln, Omaha area that came together for a day-long training. I heard, saw, and experienced things at that conference that have, that have changed my perspective as a pastor this last year. And I've walked in this sermon, in these passages for a year. And I've rehearsed this sermon unintentionally dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times over coffee, at dinner tables, over lunches, over people's lunch hours. I feel like I've said this version of what I'm covering today Several dozen times. If not, I feel like this has been in my system for a year, and I'm excited to be able to share these passages and these principles in these passages. Now, I'm not straight up plagiarizing from the pastor of the conference that I was at. He's my friend. He sent me his notes. They were good. I appreciate his notes. I appreciate what he shared. But I, I do, I do, I am excited about this topic we got to cover today. We, we, we try to deep dive into the God's Word year-round with expository Christ-centered teachings because the Word of God Theology that changes people. 
when you think and you learn, your mind expands and adapts, and your, your whole life changes when your mind changes. And we deep dive into the Word of God, but we come up for air a couple times a year. Uh, the next four weeks, we will be coming up for air as we look through being our prayer life as a church, a believing God for more than four different areas as a church. I'm excited for today's topic. Dan's going to have a week topic next week. I'm supposed to do week three. And then week four is Derek and a guest preacher, Charlie, are going to come and talk about the pinnacle of our four-week series, which is our Mount Everest as a church. And that is, that is exciting. Week four is going to be amazing. So set your calendars for week four. If you can get through today, week four will be amazing. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's our purpose as a church is week four. All right, so I'm excited for today. But we're going to, after these four-week series, we're going to jump into a Palm Sunday, Easter a Good Friday service, our first ever Good Friday service we're going to have this Easter. If you want to come, make history, come. We'll see what happens. It'll be great. We'll do a Good Friday service. And then after that, we're going to jump into a psalm series again. And so I assume we'll do something like this again in August or September of next year. We usually do deep dives into the Bible, but this is more of a strategies and principles, what we're trusting God for as a church, as we believe God for more. As we believe that for more. I, I just thank you for letting us explore some rhythms that we think will bring us for our, our good and His glory as people. My theme for today is praying for gospel movements, believing God for more laborers. That's my theme for today. I'm a, to begin and cover believing God for more laborers, I am assuming a shared experience, vision, theology, biblical understanding, and framework to jump into the rest of my sermon. So in five minutes, I'm going to try to do a high-level flyover of the biblical foundation of what the heck they're laboring for. If I'm talking about believing God for more laborers, what are they laboring for? That, that, should be in your, that should be in your mind. And so if you've been around church before, you've probably heard of this thing called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Uh, little did you know, a little fun fact about this church, it's had four names in 38 years. Its very first name was Great Commission Church. Lincoln, I believe. Raise your hand if you're here. One, two, two. You weren't there. <laughs> I'm 38. You're definitely younger than me. Anyway, so men and women, the Great Commission Lincoln, they changed the name because it was confusing. The Christians that went to that church got a better commission than the Christians that went to that church. It was a confusing sales name. It meant well, but it just in practic practicality, they say, didn't make sense. It was confusing more than helpful. The Great Commission is not is not, uh, it's in the Bible, Matthew 28. It talks about the Great Commission. Jesus and his disciples, if you look with me at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came to his disciples and he says this, and Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the ends of the age. You see, Christians, the mission of a church is baked into the Great Commission. We don't have the luxury of creating our own cute mission statements apart from the heart and the spirit and the direction of the Great Commission. If you look at that passage in Matthew 28, we're supposed to transform and change the world. Go into the whole world, into all nations and all people groups. This Great Commission should be the driving force behind our mission statement as a local church and your, your purpose and mission of your life is going to all the world and make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? By teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. 
And behold, I'll be with you always to the even to the ends of the age. Our church's mission statement. If you've been to any of those membership classes I've done every month, uh, our church's mission statement is to make authentic disciples of Jesus Christ who love and worship God in all they do. It boils down to discipleship and, and theology and your mind changed and your life being changed after your mind is changed. You see, we're not a, we're not a personality church. We're not built around my personality, Dan's personality, Derek's personality, Shane's personality, Ben's personality. Those guys are great. I'm not as entertaining as those guys. I don't have as good of stories as those guys. But our personalities are not the ultimate personality that we should worship. That is Jesus. If you're at a church where it's built around a pastor's personality and his gifting and his charisma and his charm and his blogs and his books, that's fine. But men and women, we should be worshiping one personality, Jesus, not one of Jesus' creations. And so I love the team of pastors we're on, and I love that I'm not that fancy. They're more fancy than I am, but I'm not that interesting. I'm not that charming. I'm not that outgoing. I'm not that, it's not, we're not a personality-driven church. We're not a program-driven church. We're not built around the goods and services we do or don't offer you as people. There's not a daycare. There's not a school. There's not, you know, meetings you can have for every single specialization. We don't have that bandwidth, that, that desire as a church. We're not a program-driven church. We're not a production-driven church. Now, worship was excellent this morning, but there's no smoke machines blowing out smoke. There's no technicolored, you know, TV monitors behind you taking you for visual audio experience. It's not evil. It's just not us. Does that make sense? And we're not a political church. My job is not to make good little Insert the blank of whatever political affiliation you like. That is not our job. We're not an extension of a political party. We are a church that is actually attempting to build ourselves under the structures, roles, and decision-making to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing from Matthew 28 is making disciples. Making disciples is the main thing. So, in an illustration, you all have shoes on. It's cold today, right? Shoes, this is a shoe. Here we go. This is my shoe. This is the shoe I have. I've had the shoe for a bit. If we're a shoe company and we have, we have a logo, we have a board, we have committees, we have budgets, we have money and activity and events and structure and decision-making, we have shareholders, and we have, we have trucks coming and going, raw goods coming in and out of our shoe plant, and we never produce a single shoe, we're going out of business. We're a failure as a shoe company. Does that make sense? All right, I'm going to put this back on in front of you all. So, so we are, so we're not a shoe company. We're a church. We have all kinds of leaders, all kinds of logos and cool videos and social media and websites and branding and paper we hand out and material we're giving away and people meeting and decisions being made and people talking and planning and, and praying and attempting to do things. And if we never make a disciple, we're not the designed prototype church we see in the Bible. We want to be a church that is built to keep the main thing the main thing. And how do we do that? We pastors, elders, our 50 leaders, our paid staff are pursuing keeping the main thing the main thing of making disciples by teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. In that, that line, it's through the life, knowledge, theology, theology, transformation that occurs in the life of a believer that makes them a mature disciple. Now, we're not against learning and being learned folks, but you learning unleashes your mind to be a gospel witness, a disciple into your neighborhoods and your networks. And that's what sends you out on mission into your life. 
And just to, we're going to pause, we'll come back to this thought here, but as we pause, we're going to look for, this is not just a, a, exclusively Matthew 28. You see this global conquest, this world domination, great commission, you see that in Habakkuk too. It's an Old Testament and New Testament theme of the kingdom of God here among men. If you look at me at Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We see Christ's kingdom, his mission is for everywhere, for everyone. We see the, the purpose of God is that the kingdom of God would live among the people of God, among all the people groups around the globe. The first main thing you can see from these two different vision statements, these two mission statements in, in Habakkuk and in Matthew is the vision is a global vision. They sent the disciples into the whole world as the waters cover the earth. Not as the waters cover Nebraska, as the waters cover the earth. It shows global domination, a global mission. So like we have a local mission, mission as a church, and this is part of it, and it's, this is one part of it. The second main part of it is in all those different community groups all over the city. That's our local ministry, our local outreach, our local discipleship, our local mission. We have a regional efforts that happen. Those could be mission trips. Those could be funds that we send to help with disaster relief when the river floods or when there's tornadoes or if there's church plants efforts happening. I got a, a local, a local regional missionary emailed me asking for some of our gospel tracks this morning. I think we're going to send him those. If I can find out who has that file, we'll send it to him this afternoon. There's a local, there's a regional effort and then there's a national effort as a, as a mission. That national effort is funds and money and even sending a missionary to Alaska, Brock and Megan, last year, around a month or two from now, this time last year. And then there's a global mission with missionary efforts happening outside the United States, with money going outside the United States. The vision is global. It's not just local. It's a global mission. Local, regional, national, and global, but the, the, the waters cover the earth. The disciples were sent throughout the whole known world. It is a global effort because God reigns and rules over all of the globe, of all the planet's activities. We don't have the privilege to put boundaries on the people or the scope of the vision. The vision is the entire world. Our mandate, our biblical mandate as the church, the bride of Christ, is world domination. Expanding and planting gospel beacons of hope around the entire world. It's like pinky in the brain. Animaniacs. I know. Who? So, this is cartoon when I was a kid. So, ha, you can't pay attention right now. Um, what, Pinky goes to the brain and says, what are you going to do tonight? Pinky. And he says, what are you going to do tonight? He says, the same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. There's these two lab rats. It's great. You'll love it. Watch it this afternoon. But our biblical mandate is global domination, world domination, because our God has an authority and reign and rule over the entire planet. So his ministry, his church to the people over the entire planet should look like God. The second main thing we should see about the Great Commission is the vision is open and accessible to everyone. The vision is open and accessible to everyone. Our desire is to be a, a gospel beacon of hope and healing here on the corner of 27th and R Street. That is a healthy biblical church. And it seems like we're growing in health and growing in our biblical literacy as a church. But we are stewards under God of his church. And we are stewarding the call of God for all the people of God, for the glory of God. The Great Commission is the grand mission, the grand purpose we can throw our lives into as people. 
This vision is open and accessible to everyone. And number three, and my five-minute summary of the Great Commission, the vision is all-encompassing. The vision is all-encompassing. As the waters cover the sea, water gets everywhere. I installed a sink in my house on Friday in the basement on my day off in the morning. There's a simple little kit. There's a little dripping down there. I'm like, nah, it's fine. It's concrete. And there's a floor drain there. And no one's using this sink. But like we had a bigger than a little, we had a basement flooding, water destroying event in our building two years ago. And we, we staff stacked these chairs against the walls and brought all the stuff out of the basement and laid it out all over here. And this room smelled so bad and we threw so much away. And I used it as an opportunity to get rid of a lot of old stuff because churches can hoard a lot of stuff. And we got rid of a lot of old stuff. And it was great. But water gets everywhere. It's soaked into any box, in any bit of technology, in any and everything. Water permeated and soaked into everything. After it sat here for a week, we got it back into the basement after we cut it all. It was just, it was just crazy. When you have a, a flood, that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the earth. The vision is all-encompassing. Water gets everywhere. Every square inch of our cities, God wants to cover with the knowledge of his glory. And God wants to start with you as a mini-representative, as a disciple of Jesus. He wants to start with you and start now. He wants to cover every nook and cranny of your life, all the ways and all your days, every nook and cranny of this city and every nook and cranny of your life with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The desired will of God is to saturate you and saturate your neighborhood and your network with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord. This desired will of God to get every, any man and any woman and any child access to the good news of Jesus Christ and growing the knowledge of Jesus Christ is God's design. That's our purpose as a church. The gospel, the Great Commission, making disciples is the main thing. We need to keep that the main thing. As we talk about gospel movement and we pray for more, more laborers, we got to keep that in mind. I'm assuming you understand or are accustomed to that fast five-minute flyover of one of the main messages of the Bible. As we dive down and land our plane on today's topic, our main passage is we believe in God for more laborers. Our main passage we're going to look at is Luke 10, verses 1 through 3. It's Jesus talking. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, scholars, if your Bible says 70 or 72, that's not as important as the scholars agree that those 70 or 72 is a symbol of the 70-some different non-Jewish ethnic groups around the nation of Israel at this time. And Jesus' ministry was allocated just to the nation and the people of Israel to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. But he knew, and we know, that the disciples would go to the ends of the earth, to the Matthew 28 Great Commission, to all known people groups on this planet. We know the disciples did take the gospel to the whole world, to unreached, unengaged people groups. They were pioneers, missionaries, ambassadors, trailblazers, of the kingdom of God, to herald the kingdom of God into unchartered new territory, new markets, new clans, new villages, new nation, national languages. And Jesus concludes their ministry in Matthew and Luke 10, 16. He says this, The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects him who sent me. 
These brothers were the hands and feet and mouth of God, and they were preparing the people of God for Jesus' coming arrival. That same commission in Matthew 28 is our commissioning. There's this micro-commissioning here we just saw in Luke 10. Then there's a macro-commissioning that we're living under as Christians in the post-Jesus, post-resurrection world. Look at this. Jesus' solution to all the problems the world, the devil, and the flesh could throw at the church, his solution to the big three's problems, the world, the devil, and the flesh, his solution was knowledge, teaching, instruction. Knowledge, teaching, and instruction. The vision of gospel movements, of believing God for more laborers, has to rest when correct theology, knowledge, teaching, and instruction. Good theology, good information isn't going to ruin people. It is what you need. Think back to when you learned to read. How old were you when you read? Five, six, seven? How old do kids read? Four, five, six? Five? You started to learn to read when you were five. Let's pretend. Imagine with me right now. If you didn't learn how to read, how would your life be changed? Drastically changed. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Your life would be radically changed. You would not be here and now with the people and do what you do if you never learned how to read. That knowledge, that information has completely transformed and changed the whole trajectory of your life because you learned how to read. You're like, okay, okay. Think back to when someone, when you first got your first smartphone. Your smartphone woke you up. It sang to you while you brushed your teeth. It directed you how to get here. It you know, told you what to wear because it was cold out today. Your, your phone's going to alarm you. that Oh, you have friends coffee this afternoon. You have this, this project due on Monday. Your phone answers debates with you and your friends about whatnot. You can search something that used to be left out to the mysteries of the wonders of the world. Now Google answers all of our questions. Knowledge of a phone has transformed and changed your life, mostly for the better. Hopefully. The knowledge of God, understanding of God, theology about God, that changes and transforms and opens up people's minds. They can see God clearly. They can see this world clearly. They can see themselves clearly. And their whole life has changed. Our job as a church is to go in a deepening understanding of theology, information, understanding about God. Church, listen to me. We need to know more as a church, as we grow older, but we need to do more as a church. Your theology and your liveology need to grow together. If you're, if you're a person and a guy and you want like really big biceps, all right, and you go down and you lift weights in our basement of our church, and you're like, I'm just curls, curls, curls all day, and you're doing curls for the girls, and you're just working hard at those curls, and you're like, I'm not seeing the gains I want to see. I'm not seeing the gain. You're like, well, listen, you need to do biceps and triceps. You can't just do biceps because those muscles are complementary. they got to grow together. If you want maximum return on investment without injuries, you need to do your biceps and your triceps. So it's theology and liveology. It's not just one or the other. It's both and. A mature, wise Christian does both and. You know more and you do more. Your, your why and your what are growing together. What you do and why you do it are growing together in a mature, healthy Christian. Look with me back to this passage in Luke 10. What do you see? I see, front and center, a a delegation, a division of labor is happening. Jesus got his disciples in the game. They went from being hearers and learners with Jesus for a season to doers. This is gospel multiplication. Jesus' man hours blew up when he started to send out these disciples. Let's do a, let's have fun. Let's have a little fun here. I, I saw this in college ministry. I did this years ago. Let's have fun. Could I have two volunteers? 
Okay, we got one. One volunteer in this whole room. Okay, we got two. Ryan's the second one. All right. All right. You, okay. Okay. All right. So here, here's our two. Here's our two volunteers. We're gonna have a little fun this morning. Don't get hurt. Please don't get hurt. All right. Who who raised your hand back there? Sarah. Sarah. All right. Sarah and Ryan. Here's our here's our application. This is a visual application. We'd like you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have five seconds. And your job is to touch as many hands as possible. Eat, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'll, I'll count out, okay? Uh, when she touches your hand, support her and sit there quietly, okay? Uh, each second stands for like 10 years of your life. You have 50 years of faithful Christian ministry. You have five seconds. On your marks, get set, go. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi. There we go. Faith was too late. Sorry. <laughs> Sarah, go back, go back. Raise your hand if Sarah touched your life. Raise your hand. All right, look at you, evangelist Sarah. There we go. There we go. All right, so Ryan, Ryan here. Uh, Ryan was at first service. Sarah, were you at first service? Okay, everyone else, listen. When, when Ryan touches your hand, you're not just going to sit on your hand. Your job is to be a Ryan. So whatever Ryan does, you got to do. So if Ryan touches your hand, it's now your job to touch as many hands as possible. Okay, don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. Everyone else, don't get hurt. Please. But think, when Ryan touches your hand, you touch someone else's hands as many people as possible. You have, you have five seconds. Ready? One Mississippi. Two Mississippi. Three Mississippi. Four Mississippi. Five. Stop, 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 stop. All right, stop, stop, stop. Hands up, everyone. Hands up. Hands up. This part of the world has never heard or seen of Jesus. We need to send a missionary over there. So the idea is gospel multiplication. So the first hand was who? Who was the first hand? These two guys. And you guys were literally, you doubled and tripled your man hours right away. Right? Ryan went from one to three. Three man hours. And then you started to multiply your time and life in other people's lives. So Jesus spent years instructing and discipling and teaching the disciples. And he sent them out in pairs all throughout the known, all throughout that region to speak on behalf of the kingdom of God. He was getting them in the game from theology and abstract concepts to, oh, I have to do something with what I've heard. And they own the message a lot deeper. We want to be a church that sees gospel movement in our city. We want to see gospel movement outside of our city. And we believe that in this passage, in Jesus' example of what he demonstrated for us, is we see multiplication in the method of bringing in the harvest. Multiplication is the method for bringing in the harvest. What are his methods? Well, it's multiplication of labor, the multiplication of disciples. It's people. People are the advocate for bringing the gospel, the word of God, the truth of God into people's lives. And his method is also in teams. If you look at that passage, he sent them out in pairs. He didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out in pairs. Two got a return, a good return on investment. One gets worn down and tired. The other one carries his knapsack. That one, one gets, you know, beat up. The other one's able to help him. It talks about pairs in the Bible and Ecclesiastes. We believe this is a big value for us as a church. We believe if we want to be a part of a gospel movement and believing God for more laborers, we're believing God for more teams, more, the Bible term is plurality, more teams of Christians we can send out into new neighborhoods and new networks. Teams of people preaching, teams of people teaching, teams of people doing work and ministry together. They got sent out in pairs. I'm sure they would periodically stop and pray for more laborers, and they would sometimes be the answer to their own prayer of laboring on as faithful ministry. Other times they'd see someone and then think that is a new laborer that should join this team. The principle is when you pray for something, you start to see it, you start to feel it, and you start to desire something. 
I was a kid once, and at a kid conference, at a teen conference, some youth group pastor was telling us all to pray for our future wife. And I was like a 14-year-old kid at the time, and I'm like, women, wife, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I took it to heart. I wrote it down like a good legalistic 14-year-old kid would, and I started praying daily for my wife. I did. It's like, aw. But, but here's what happened. Everywhere I went, I went to Walmart, I went to school, I went to, I went to everywhere I went. I'm like, is, it, is she here? <laughs> I prayed this morning, where is she? Is she here? It's just, it was on my mind, I felt it, I desired it all of a sudden. I wanted to see ever. I'm like, is that her? Is that her? Is that her? Everywhere I went. When you pray for something, it changes the desires of your heart. We are called to pray for more laborers. And so the simple implication is, at 10.02 a.m., my alarm goes off. Because 10.02 p.m., I don't want to, I'm trying to fall asleep maybe. At 10.02 a.m., my alarm goes off. And that's an annoying reminder. Do I really care if you pray at 10.02 a.m.? Because it's Luke 10.2. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Luke 10.2. That's a creative way to say pray for more laborers. I don't genuinely care when you pray. I just think you need to be found praying for more laborers, like Jesus said to do. The, the task is grand and huge and more than anyone can accomplish in their life. We have to be praying for more laborers to reach Lincoln, let alone the nations. We can't even reach the Husker Nation without God's hand moving in our city. We need more labor to join us and join us at praying for more laborers. I only do 1002 to be an annoying example to people. I've been doing it for a year. You can pray for more laborers in the morning when you read your Bible, when you start your day, but we need to be found praying, found faithfully asking God to send out more laborers to Ukraine, more laborers to the South Pacific, more laborers to Central America, more laborers to Asia, more laborers to the Middle East, where they train you in the Middle East if you to not disclose your sources and your converts if they start raping your family members. There are some hostile countries that need to hear about the hope of Jesus Christ. We need to be praying for more laborers. It's our mandate, world domination, through discipleship, through life, knowledge, transformation, through life on life, deepening knowledge of each other and God. But we need to be praying for more laborers because honestly, it is overwhelming. There's too much to be done if we don't pray for more laborers. Wherever you are, be found faithfully praying that Jesus would, what he says to pray for, pray for more laborers. I propose that if you're discipling people, you're leading people. If you're discipling people in the next steps they need to take with their walk of God, you're leading at the highest level, the most heavenly impactful level that is out there. Don't get turned on or turned off by the word disciple and leader. Keep that a godly balance, that a godly leader is a godly discipler, and they, those two things, when done well, are done together. They're done simultaneously. You're leading people in a deepening knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're discipling them in the ways of God. If you're a leader that isn't discipling others in how to walk with God into a deepening knowledge of what it is to be a Christian, you're not a mature leader. If you're a leader that isn't discipling others in how to walk with God into a deeper knowledge of God, you're not a mature leader. Lead people to Jesus, lead people from being lost to being saved, and then lead people that get saved as infant baby Christians, how to become toddlers and how to become cute little toddlers that we all, are so cute. and then they become little teenage tweens, awkward, gangly little Christians, and they become these, you know, 
teenager Christians, so much potential and so much pride, all at the same time. And then they become young adult Christians. They're starting to pull some weight in the church. And then they become mature Christians that are making babies and caring for babies. So that's our job, to grow people from baby, lost, just found, baby Christians, toddlers in the faith, teenagers up to young adults in the faith. That is our biblical job of viewing Christianity through that lens. And that change happens from knowledge and theology and life, liveology, growing together. We need all kinds of leaders to reach all kinds of people. We need all kinds of leaders to lead all kinds of people and plant all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Our culture used to be like a pancake. We all dressed alike, talked alike, looked alike, thought alike. We used to be the same generations ago. But now, the United States culture is like a waffle. And the analogy that I heard when I explained this was, you know, you put syrup on a pancake, it spreads over everything super fast and easy, and it all has got that great syrup. But in a waffle, you got to meticulously make it through each of those cultural ridges to get the syrup into each of those little squares, little nuggets of society. And this is where discipling churches do better in a, in a diversified culture. In a, in a non-flat culture, in a very waffle culture, churches that are good at discipleship, Realize that I don't just reach those people by them coming and meeting a mic who has triangles on his shirt. That's silly. <laughs> this shirt is silly and that strategy is silly. You becoming a disciple and going and reaching those people yourselves because they look like you, they talk like you, they have the same, same interests with you, the same experience as you, they have common relationship with you, it moves better and faster and goes deeper when you are the ambassador going to your part of the waffle and bringing the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the salvation with you. We as a church, we have a bunch of community groups all throughout this city. That's the main thing we try to do. Get people in the discipleship relationships in those community groups. The average community group has about 14 adults in it. And the average community group has three to five discipleship groups in it. And the average discipleship group has three to five people in it. And so you're like, okay, three to five people that I meet every other week. And then, you know, 14, 15 people that are there every week. We just break down to discipleship groups. Our prayer request for you. We want to see God do more gospel movement. We're believing God for more laborers. We're believing God for more laborers as a church. We're praying for 11 new community group leaders to come up through the ranks of our current community group structure. Amen. If you're not in those community groups, we can't have you leave those community groups. You've got to be in those community groups, growing in those community groups, faithfully found and serving in those community groups for us to raise you up in those community groups. We're praying for 11 new community group leaders. We're praying for six new discipleship group leaders to rise up through the ranks of our farm team, our discipleship teams, our community groups, our discipleship groups. What is encouraging about believing God for more laborers is we started praying this prayer a year ago, this time. And at that time, we had 28-ish leaders that were leading our church. And now we have 51 laborers, leaders, leading our church. We have 51 people that are a leader in our church that are growing in knowledge of what it means to be a leader. They're trying to care for and invest in other people. Think about that. 51 people that are leaders in our church. And we have 206 people that are attending those small groups, those community groups, most weeks. That's a four-to-one ratio. Do you realize how unique that is? The average Christian experience of small groups is you walk into church and there's 20-some people and one leader. And those 20-some people suck the life out of that one leader slowly because there's just a lot of work to be done. And then eventually they get burned out or, or spent and then they run out of gas and they have to stop. And those 20-some people that started to experience Christianity and an authentic community for the first time watched their community fall apart because there's, there's not a plurality. There's not a team of people. They didn't send them out in pairs. They sent out one person. And that one person can't do everything unless they're a full-time guy and they can only do a limited amount still. 
I pray that we should be praying that God will give us wisdom because our desire is to raise up more leaders, more discipleship group leaders, more community group leaders as we go as a church. There's pain of making a bad decision on who we raise up as a leader, but there's also pain of not having a leader. And Jesus had his Judas. I'm sure we will not be perfect at who we raise up as leaders, but I thank you for the permission of trying with people, giving them a chance to lead out and try to serve and bless their brothers and sisters. I think we figured out a few things about how we identify and raise up leaders. It's the pathway through humility, pathway through service. If you can't serve a church, you can't lead a church, is our mental view of this world. And so I think that helps gather humility, humble people. But we value team here at church. The fancy word is plurality. We genuinely think teams bring out the best in each other. Teams allow specialization and gifting to come out. You don't have to be everything all the time for everyone. There's a team of people who can be developed and reaching out. This is what's unique about us, one of our cultural distinctives. Teams go the distance. Christianity is the ultimate team sport. There's an old proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Christianity is a long march, men and women. We think teams do better in the long haul. And what's encouraging is we're praying for more elders and pastors to join our pastoral team. We've been praying for that for a while as a church. There's those prayer cards we handed out last year in March, I think, to everyone. And uh, we have 13 men that are going through this pastoral elder aspire class that we're learning about the ins and outs of being a pastor. We're doing theology and training and, and teaching them in this rotation from each of us pastors, and it's been very good the last 120 days. It's a two-year class we're working through with these men. Just because they're in the class doesn't mean they're going to be a pastor, but it does make them have a, a deep understanding of what it means to be a leader, a husband, a laborer, a father, a man of God. It'll be blessing their soul, and I think ultimately it'll bless this church with more elders, more pastors, more labor, more leaders. I think we should celebrate that. Give yourself a hand, church, for praying and working at that. I'm excited about what God is doing with our leaders at SOAR. We are, we are now operating in a truer plurality than we ever have before as a pastoral team. Thank God for Dan and Derek. They've been a huge blessing. They've been a huge blessing to our world. We are, we're developing more leaders than I ever thought or ever dreamed we would. We have a more variety of gifts and experiencing and specializations coming out of the woodwork that we've ever seen before to build this church. Uh, one of the best gifts God can give his church is solid, godly leaders, and I'm thrilled by the caliber of men and women God has given us to do this gospel work. We are praying for more laborers. And as I conclude here, I believe genuinely every person in our churches are made for kingdom advancing work. You have a purpose and a place in God's kingdom where only you can do certain things. That smoky the bear line, only you can prevent a forest fire, only you can do what you're gifted in and reach the people God's called you to reach. And serving and expanding the kingdom of God is bigger than just you handed out a donut to a kid uh, and that was your serving check the box. You know, I mean, what a great job that is. You can hand out donuts to kids and call it serving. Or you can pour coffee for someone or you can help someone find a car spot they can park. But I do believe gifting and how you're gifted is to build up the church and our job is to equip you in that gift and pull that out of you and help unleash you in your gifting. When we pray for more laborers, we believe that we're going to do a spiritual gift assessment of all of our members, and we're going to offer these classes for our members to get training in their spiritual gifts this next year. That's our big project for this next year among our membership. And so if you're gifted in mercy, we're going to get you training, specialized training, how to, how to have a good, merciful heart, how to 
uh, not be taken advantage of, how to be biblical in your mercy, how to be leaning point people to Christ. We can give you podcast books, uh, seminary certifications, teachings, training. We're going to assimilate people into these groups and train them in their gifting, all the gifts in our church. You're gifted more than just pouring coffee. And if it's hospitality and that's your gift, your passion, praise God. Maybe that's your main gifting. But it, most of you are doing something that may not be your most dominant gifting. We want to find, identify, and equip you in that. But on top of all of that, in, in Matthew 9, it talks about the same exact parallel kind of passage in Matthew 9. and talking about Jesus from Matthew's perspective, talking about the harvest and plentiful. And in Matthew 9, Jesus talks about, you see, the heart of Christ in this passage. He had compassion for them. In Matthew 9, 35, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I think this is key. As you pray for more laborers and leaders to join us, we want laborers and leaders that have a compassionate heart of Christ. I think the last three years of existence as a Christian, they've been pretty miserable for a lot of people. And I think it was a chance for Christianity in America to really put love on display, to have compassion on display, and care for hurting people. And as a whole... We were really good at judging each other, criticizing each other, attacking each other, in and out of the church. This, this, this passage here shows a transition from Jesus' ministry of healing and teaching uh, to commissioning his people out in Matthew 9. But we see our master's Jesus' heart. There's a vivid verb here. Have compassion, a gut reaction. He saw people as a sheep without a shepherd. And this passage denotes a lack of spiritual care, lack of guidance for actual people. Jesus' gut-level moment with Jesus was he saw people's life and their heart, and he had a deep compassion for them in his bones. When we talk about evangelism, we can get weird. We can not be compassionate. We can do it legalistically as Christians. We talk about praying for more laborers. Sometimes the wrong people rise to the ranks. We need compassionate, humble laborers that we're praying for. I've been praying that we'd have a burden as a church, like Christ had a burden for people. And ultimately, like, it's his harvest, not our harvest. It's his church he's building, not our church we're building. It's his work we're joining him in, and it's his burden that only he can carry. But if Jesus' heart has compassion for people, it's my prayer that we would be a church that is laborers, that has a compassion for people. Not a legalistic burden, but a healthy burden. Love should lead you as you love people. Compassion should, should compel you. You should be burdened, not wishing that anyone in your neighborhood and your network should perish. Your burden will never match Christ's burden, but you should attempt to care for the things God cares about. Jesus sees Lincoln, the city of Lincoln. He sees every man, woman, and child, and he's a gut-wrenching compassion for the people in our city. Where is that compassion that bothered us like it bothered Jesus? Where is that heart to see the harassed and helpless people that are torn and thrown down like sheep unprotected before a predator. Where is that heart among Christians? I don't think you look back at American Christianity in the last couple of years and give us high marks for compassion. Come on, people. Let's learn from the past. To move forward in a disciple gospel movement, praying for more laborers, we need to have a compassion-driven heart as we go for people that are far from God. Teddy Roosevelt said, No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. As we conclude, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is a picture of God's coming judgment, but here in these passages, it's used to reflect that man's readiness to respond to the gospel. 
People are ready to respond to the gospel now in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's harvest time. Every time you leave this building, remember it's harvest time. This church's second name was Great Commission Lincoln, and its second name was Harvest Community Church. It was a great name. They didn't have any websites to back that name. It was a great name, though. Harvest Community Church. It's our job to be harvesters in, this, in the souls of men and women in our city. The harvest is right in front of you. I would challenge you in a few things. I challenge that, one, you'd pray with me personally for a burden for lostness as individuals and as a church. We'd have a heart, a burden for lostness. We'd have a compassion for people. We'd be burdened by people. Some churches do not have that. They do not have a burden and a compassion for lost people. We're young. The concrete of our church is soft. We're hardening up as a church as we grow old. I pray that that would be part of our DNA, a compassion, a burden for lostness. Two, I said you join me, in pray, join me in laboring with three to five younger people in their faith, leading them in the next steps of their faith. Join a discipleship group and or be willing to lead a discipleship group in this church. One, pray for uh, compassion for loss. Two, join a discipleship group. Three, would you faithfully consider faithfully praying with me for more laborers? If you do an alarm or you just do a note in your normal devotional time, pray for more laborers to join us. And four, would you be a more faithful laborer? And one way to check that is, let's just say, church attendance. If you attend every other month, attend once a month. Try that for the year 2022. Coming once a month, not every other month, once a month. And if you attend once a month, what about trying two times a month? We're trying to grow and a deepening understanding of God and stuff. You come once a month, that's tough. Come twice a month, that'll really help. If you come twice a month, try three. Try three times each month as a goal to develop and grow in this understanding of being a laborer and knowing what a laborer does and looking for laborers. If you come three times a month, try four times a month. If you come four times a month, that's wonderful. I have a book for you. I'll give you this. I have a book for you if you come four times a month. It's a great book. I, I can give it to you in the lobby. The first four people can have a book. If you, if you, uh, if you come five times a month, that's wonderful. Email hello at sowachurch.com and say, sign me up. We can get you connected with younger, young professional men and women that are looking for an older father or mother figure in the faith who can mentor them in their walk of God. Just church attendance. It's just a, an acid test to see, like, how you doing? Not saying that's the only, you know, pulse-checking thing, but that's a, a standard of how we're doing it, you being a laborer. A time-sensitive action item for all of us, I set up that lobby table in the lobby. When you walk in, there's a bunch of business cards, bunch of, we have a bunch of these three items out there. Because in 42 days is Easter. And that's a culturally significant time in America. 71% of people in the United States said if their friend member or family member invited them to go to church, they would join them if they invited them. But we don't invite our friends and family to come to church. 71% of people said they would go with you to church if you invited them. That means 29% won't come. 71% will come. So here's three tools. Here's this one tool. It's the pray, pray and go tool. You're supposed to basically hang it on a door and walk away. And you're supposed to pray for them. I challenge you to do your neighborhood. Do your dorm. Do your apartment complex. It's a simple little tool. Zero contact. They can jump on our website. They can pull up social media. And they are. They are checking us out online. This is a, a way God, you can pray for them. And God can use your prayer. And God can use some other Christians' labor to present the church online for people that get to know who we are online. It's a tool. This, is, this works. We'd use this because it works. Does that make sense? This is another one. It's a gospel track. You can go through this with someone. 
You can give this to someone. On the very back page, it talks about where and when we meet as a church. And the secret to do this is don't just hand it to them. If you want to go through it, them, just read it one page at a time. And if you can read, you can work through this and you can lead someone to Christ. Many people have used these tracks and become Christians over the years. Other pastors are asking us for these tracks that the team has created. Thank you for that work, team. The other option, you could just give one of these out. My, my, uh, friend, uh, my friend has uh, told me about a guy he knows that we both know. My son's taking guitar lessons from my friend's friend. And I just knew him as my kid's guitar teacher. But then I mentioned to my wife, who's a bigger and better evangelist than I am, and she already invited him to church that very same day. And then my son and her invited him to church. And I went the next week to pick my son up from guitar lessons at the Salvation Army thing. And I asked him about it. He's like, you know, that's a funny thing. I got that thing from your wife, this card from your wife. I, my wife, his married, his own wife got a card from one of y'all <laughs> the same exact day in the same city in the same neighborhood. I'm like, well, that's cool. So you coming? <laughs> you going to come? You know? I mean, it's simple things, but 71% of people will come if you invite them. We have tons of tools in the lobby for you. Pray for laborers. Be a laborer. We have 42 days till Easter. And if you're a digital person, we have a digital Facebook event coming for Easter morning. You can invite your friends and family. Will you bow your heads and pray? It's a grand task, and we need prayer. Lord, our prayer life shows our dependency on you. And what we truly believe, Lord, as people and as a church, I, I ask that you just really help us to be a church that is praying for our laborers. Lord, uh, wake us up to your mission, Lord, your mission of discipleship, Lord, your mission of church planning, Lord. Wake us up to your method, Lord, of theology and life change through life-on-life -life discipleship, Lord. Uh, and wake us all up to the person of Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray that uh, we would come to know Christ as more frequently people become saved in the neighborhood and networks of these men and women here, from their conversations, Lord, and their labor. I say, just really give us a wisdom and a burden and a compassion for the lost and direct us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.